Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. I was walking through the back just now, coming back to my seat to get ready to preach, and I looked around. I said, this almost looks normal. <laughs> if, if today is your first time with us, welcome. We are glad you're here. We're not as crazy as you think we are, or maybe we are. I don't know. Uh, but we have been, in the last several weeks, in a series called Plain and Simple, where we do what we do every now and then. We take a book in this Bible, because we believe that this book is more than just a book. Come on, somebody. That this is the inspired Word of God, and it has things that are useful for us from now into eternity. It is transcendent and universal, and what it says matters to us. And when we lean into its truth, it changes us. And it's not out of obligation that we do that. It's not because God's going to be mad at us if we don't. It's because we believe what he has to say can really change everything. And I'm not talking about like when we die, yeah, that we have an eternity that waits for us, but that right now on this planet, this has stuff in it that can, is, is useful, that makes us better on this planet and gives us an opportunity to make a contribution in this life that is significant. I'm preaching 10 seconds in. Y'all with me? And we have been reading through, really, it's not a book, it's a letter. It's one of the letters written by a guy named Paul. Not long after Jesus lived on this planet and the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was given and the church was born, it was persecuted for a while, very intensely by a guy named Paul until he had an authentic encounter with Jesus. And when you have a real encounter, it leads to radical change. When you have a real encounter with Jesus, it leads to radical change. And, and then Paul goes into these different towns and communities and just starts telling people about Jesus. And he doesn't go in there telling them how to do church. He goes in and starts telling them about Jesus. He doesn't go in and say, now, okay, now that you know Jesus, every Sunday at 11 o'clock in the nicest Navy suit you have, in the prettiest building with the nicest stained glass, with really quiet organ music, you worship Jesus for the end of the time. That's not what he says. He says, hey, every one of us were created by God. Because he wanted you to be in existence. He formed you to have a relationship with you. He formed you for a purpose and a plan. But that purpose and plan and that relationship was severed by something. And we just call it what it is. Not just mistakes, sin. That sin has separated you from that God that formed you. And there's nothing you can do about it in and of yourself. That you cannot follow enough rules or jump through enough hoops or do enough good things or give enough money no, like there's nothing that you in and of yourself can do about it. But here's the good news is you don't have to. Because God became man in the form of a baby named Jesus who grew up, went to a cross, gave up his life because that sin required the penalty of shed blood and death. And when he went to that cross, he didn't die for his sin because he didn't have any. He died for the sin of every human that would ever walk on this planet. And anybody who believes in that sacrifice, their sins are taken away. They are made right with God, and they are made new. That's the gospel. And maybe, maybe y'all have heard it too much. You ain't getting excited about it when you hear it. Come on. Like, that's the gospel, and that's the, beauty, that's the plain and simple gospel. And from the onset, when churches were formed, people have tried to do really weird things to it and with it. Tried to make this something other than what God wanted it to be. They tried to take the gospel and layer it down with rules and regulations and traditions, and the result is religion was born. 
And religion has never worked. Religion has always been man's attempt to get to God. We don't have to go to God. He already came to us. And so Paul writes this letter to this church that's fighting this ageless battle. These churches in this little area called Galatians, and they're trying to do all this stuff, and he's just starting to strip it all away. He's like, no, no, what you need to do is you need to get back to what I taught you, that you have salvation in and through Jesus by faith because of grace. Like, this is what's happening in you, and when you step into the true and simple gospel, you find freedom. Freedom from everything, freedom from guilt and shame and freedom from your past and addiction and depression. Like Jesus has the power to set you free from any and everything. And when you start, Jesus didn't die to save you from your past, to put you in the confines of man-made religion. Strip all that stuff back. And what happens though is you have to understand, don't, don't misuse that freedom. Because there's a war within you that we talked about last week. That you will either be ruled by the flesh or you will be led by the spirit. Like there's not a third option. You'll either be ruled by the flesh or you'll be led by the spirit. And if you end up letting yourself be ruled by the flesh, it leads to things that are sinful and those sinful things are destructive. That these things that are flesh produced, it's not because God doesn't want you to have fun or God doesn't want you to do in life. It's actually the exact opposite is true. Jesus said, I died that you have life and have it to the full and these things that are produced of the flesh don't lead to that full life. They leave you empty. That you can chase this thing through relationships and sex and drugs and all these different things that the world says, hey, you, here, here, here's how you get it. But he's like, no, that actually just leads to destruction. It doesn't lead to life. Only when you're led by the Spirit does it produce the right kind of fruit. And so he says in Galatians chapter five, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That he is looking for a life led by the spirit and a life living in love with Jesus and led by the spirit produces the fruit that you're looking for. Because then he tells us, and he tells us what, what the flesh produces, and we looked at that last week, but then he says, this is what the Spirit produces. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. And let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. They said a life in love with Jesus and led by the Spirit produces the things that you really want. Not a person on this planet that doesn't want joy. Not a person on this planet that doesn't desire and long for peace. There's not a person on this planet that doesn't respond really well to gentleness and kindness and all these beautiful, that all these things that you're searching for in this life, the only way they're produced in it is through living in a love, authentic love relationship with Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to set up in you and produce this fruit. And, you know, we had planned just to, in this series, do a couple more weeks and just do like one week on the fruit of the Spirit. And I thought, nah, we got to stay here for a while. Because did you notice 
Guys, go back to that list of fruits of the Spirit if you can. Because what I want you to do is just see them. And I want you to do like I do. When you see these things, when you see the things that are produced in the Spirit, go back where it says love and peace and patience and kindness and all those kinds of things. Because I want you to see the things that are listed on this screen when we get there are things that are completely absent almost in the culture that we live in. Anybody see a real abundance of true, authentic love? Anybody see a real lasting joy and peace? And, and if you don't believe there's no patience, go to Bojangles when you leave here. Okay? Go to Walmart at 10 o'clock on a Saturday. Like we know that there is a deficiency of these things. And here's why. Because they're really only produced by the Spirit. See, we read a lot of these words, and y'all can take them down now. We, we read a lot of these words, and, and they seem somehow connected to other religious systems. And we even see them pop up in our lives from time to time. But I'm not talking about fruits produced by ideal circumstances. I'm talking about lasting fruit as the byproduct of a life lived in connection with the Holy Spirit of God. That's the difference. People say, well, what's the difference in all these things? Anybody can have joy, and I would even submit it's probably not joy, it's probably the emotion of happiness because you got a new Christmas present and you really like it. You, you can have a moment of joy when, when you get a bonus. You can have a season of joy when everything in your life is just like it's supposed to be, and that lasts all of about three seconds, testify somebody. It's easy to have patience when you get on the road and there are no cars. And you can find gas. It's easy to be kind when people are kind to you. That's not, Paul's not outlining some emotions that are produced as the byproduct of the ideal circumstance. What he's saying is, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus has cleared the way. He has opened your heart by removing the sin from it so that now God doesn't live in a building. He lives in you. That you are his temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit of God is housed in you. And when you tap into his power, see these fruits that we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks the worst thing you can do is hear these messages and think, oh, oh I got to have joy, and then try to go conjure up joy. Try to go, I'm, I'm going to have joy, and the way I'm going to have joy is I'm never going to be on Facebook again. Now, that might help. <laughs> but it's not, a, it's not a thing of circumstance or situation. It's a byproduct of staying grounded in the gospel and connected to the Spirit. And that's the biggest difference that Paul is saying. There's some things that God wants to, and you, what's produced is dependent on where you're planted and what's being planted. And you stay connected to Jesus. You stay in love with him. You stay connected to his truth. And what's produced in your life is all the things that you know you want and you're trying to find in other places. 
And so over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack these things one by one and talk about them. And I don't think it's random or by coincidence that the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions is love. Because I would even say that, that love is what opens the gate for all the others to flow. Like love is the thing fertilizing the soil to get all these other things to be produced. Love is the number one identifier of a life lived in love with Jesus. And Paul's already kind of made this clear. Go back to verse 6 of chapter 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Then remember, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Like he's already been laying the groundwork, the foundation for this powerful fruit that flows from a life in connection with Jesus. If you move into back to verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Love. That the fruit that flows from a life living in authentic love relationship with Jesus, love. Love just flows from us. And this is at the heart of everything that Jesus taught us. Do you remember? You know, we just spent this time talking about how Paul made that connection in his life. He realized that the purpose of the law was to show the gap, not to close it. That, that the law revealed this brokenness in us. And when that guy came to Jesus, remember in the Gospels, and they go, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor and yourself, that all of the law hinges on these things. But have you ever noticed that, that Jesus said that multiple times? John 13, 34, I'm giving you a new commandment. First of all, the moment he said that, people would have went crazy. Because number one, they're like, another one? There's already so many. And more importantly, they would have said, wait a minute, only God can give commandments. Who are you? And Jesus would have said, <laughs> I've been trying to tell you this the whole time. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And then look, not just any old way, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you wear the nicest navy suit that you can find every Sunday, if you follow all the rules, no, he says, let me tell you how people are gonna know that you're my disciple. It'll be if you love one another the way I have loved you. But you know what's really interesting about that that I didn't realize, so I heard a preacher say it not long ago. Have you ever noticed that God, Jesus commands the one thing that can't be commanded. Love. Think about it. I can make my kids do a lot. I'm their father. I can make them clean their room. I can control what kind of clothes they wear because I pay for them. I can even make them do loving type things to me and for me. I can make my daughter give me a hug even though she ain't a touchy-feely huggy kind of person. But you know what? I can never make her mean it. 
I can never make her want to be in my presence. I can make her sit down on the couch and watch a movie with me. I can't make her want to. You ever thought about that? The one thing that you can't command is the very thing Jesus said he wanted. He wants you to do the one thing he can't make you do. You know why? Because he wants you to love him because he loves you. And an authentic love relationship is always chosen. Do you see that connect? He says, what I want from you is, is not to do it because you're scared of me or not to do it because you feel like you have to or not to do it because of some penalty of punishment. No, I want you to love me because everything about me has shown you I love you. I left heaven to come to this mess for you. I knew you were gonna sin and I still created you and I still made a way for you to become able to come back to me. I love you and what I want you to do is love me. Authentic, sincere love is always chosen. That's why the one thing that Jesus commanded is the one thing you really can't command, but that's the beauty of it, isn't it? And that's the kind of love. The world doesn't change because we do loving things. The world will actually change because we begin to really authentically love other people. See, we can, we can do loving things and not really love people. Come on. We, and he's saying there's something different. And see, that's why when he says, love you, love others the way I have loved you, Jesus didn't love us because he had to. It was his choice to come after us. And John, in another letter that he would write, Later on in our New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, he unpacks this. And I'm about to read a lot of scripture. Is that okay to do in church? Isn't it better sometimes we just let God say it better than any preacher ever could anyway? Y'all, y'all clap, it ain't gonna offend me. <laughs> Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is Love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we love, that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. He, we love, we love because he first loved us. 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's powerful stuff, church. That's the life-changing kind of stuff. That God has poured his love into us, giving us the capacity to love others. And there's a reason why it has to flow that way. That it's hard to love other people when you don't feel loved. But so often our love for other people is dependent on our love from people when our love for people is driven by the love already shown to us from our God. That he poured out in us his love to make us whole and complete. And when you know that so many of us resist loving other people because we're scared. Well, if I love other people, will, will they love me back? You don't love them to love you back. You love him out of response to the love, not the response to their love, but from his love. And that begins to change everything for us. That the identify what somebody who follows Jesus should do better than anybody else, love. What should Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, whatever label you want to choose, what should we do better than anybody else, love? But if we're going to love well, we got to continue to let this be how we define, determine, and shape the way love looks. Because, see, love is also a term that's already been hijacked, maybe by religion, but also by culture. We say, love. Like, there's already some ideas of what that means. We throw that word around like it's nothing. Ten-year-olds throw that around on Instagram to the cute girl they like they ain't even ever met. Like we use that love very haphazardly. But Jesus says, as I have loved you, love other people. So that says, I'm supposed to love people the way Jesus loved me, right? So I, Jesus, Jesus has given it to us and he's modeled it for us. This love that we're talking about Jesus has given it to us, and he has modeled it for us. That's why in John chapter 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That Jesus said, love for me leads to alignment with me. The evidence of your love for me will be your willingness to surrender to what I've said. How can you surrender to what Jesus said when you don't know what he said? That's why spending time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these gospels that we have in this book are really important. And that's why I love this one because it's the red letters. All of the words in this book matter. But all of the words in this book are better understood when you understand the red ones. Jesus says... John 15, my command is that you love each other as I have loved you. That the way that I want you to love people, you don't get determined by 80s power ballads or romantic comedies 
our cultural norms. That if we're going to truly love the way that Jesus loved, a spirit-driven love, that we have to love the way Jesus loved. And one thing you'll notice about Jesus is Jesus loved without exception. There was not a single person that Jesus didn't engage with with love. Not a man, not a woman, not a rich, not a poor, not a certain nationality. Like, it was, it was, it was without exception. He didn't say, hmm, yeah, everybody but them. Luke chapter six, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Like anybody can love the people that, that love them back. Anybody can love the people that look like them. Anybody can people that love, the, love the people that vote like them. Anybody can love the people that, do I need to continue? No, he loves without exemption. Jesus loved without expectation. Like he never expected anything back. He died without expecting you honor it. You can go in and read, go read Romans 5 sometime. Just read the Bible. It's a good idea. I'll keep saying that. Jesus loved without expiration. Like there wasn't a time as you love, you got 30 days, or you got 25 years, or you got 30 years. Or you got 50 years that even on your deathbed, Jesus is waiting for you to return his love. It's without expiration. That's the way that he loved us. But we have to also, and I, I can't preach this message and not point this out. Love does a lot of things, but love does not dismiss sinful, destructive behavior. Do you remember in, in, in John chapter 8 when Jesus has this encounter? with this woman literally caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember that? Like they bring her in like, Jesus, we caught this woman. She's a sinner. Like what should we, what should we do? And the Bible says, hey, whichever one of y'all that's never sinned, toss away. And they're like, okay, well. And you know, the Bible says, he, Jesus starts writing in the sand and we have no idea. We all as preachers, he was writing the list of their sins. And when Fred saw his, he ran away. Like, I don't know what he was writing. But then he stands up and says, Jesus straightened up, John chapter 8, verse 10, and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. But go now and leave your life of sin. In that moment, out of love, Jesus did not condemn her, but he did also not condone her lifestyle. He did not reject her, but he, did not, he also didn't embrace her choices. Love doesn't ignore truth. Love presents truth with grace and mercy, knowing we all have gone wayward at one time or another. It says, the love the way I have loved you. The number one identifying thing about a follower of Jesus is the way that we love. And the kind of love that Jesus wants to flow from our lives is not determined by all the right circumstances. It's produced by the active work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul unpacks it. But you gotta pay attention to 
where this is being said. Do you, do you know where 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is being said? Between 12 and 14. You know, anyway, seriously. It falls in the middle of instructions for the church. I don't know why we made this a wedding scripture. Because it's the worst thing we've ever done. Because it's got us believing that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 kind of love is only for marriage. That that's the way you love a husband or a wife. No, he's talking to the church, the body of Christ, that every follower of Jesus should love like this. That this kind of love is, is not confined to a marriage relationship. What, Jesus, what is said about love in 1 Corinthians 13 is to where every follower of Jesus should love. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Because see, love is patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongdoing. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the kind of love that those who follow Jesus are supposed to have constantly. An unfailing love. That's the fruit produced in us by the Spirit. Just a minute, we're going to watch people go through the waters of baptism. And I think this is the best message they could hear on the day they go. Because, see, I have people come to me all the time, and this is what they think. Matt, I'm not ready to go, back. I'm not ready to go public through baptism. I can't get baptized because I'm, I haven't got it all figured out yet. Good. That's the perfect time. Because going through those waters, look at me, everybody's getting baptized or everybody's been baptized. Going through those waters does not mean you're perfect. It means the one who was perfect died to make you whole. That you aren't expected to live perfectly, but that water reminds you that you are loved perfectly by Jesus. And some of us forget that. We think it's about living perfectly, but it's about being loved perfectly. And that perfect love changes us from the inside out. And so today, as we prepare to watch people go through the waters of baptism, I'm going to invite you to stand. Go ahead and stand up with me. And maybe you need to be reminded today that what it means to follow Jesus is not what we get caught up in at times. The chief identifier, the hallmark of a follower of Jesus, what we should do better than anybody else is love. And we have to stop letting the world hijack what that means. We have to keep going back to his word to let it be defined by him and show us how to love well. 
And so you bow your heads, close your eyes, and we prepare to worship. Whatever you need to do, maybe there's something you need to confess. Maybe there's something you need to repent of. Maybe there's something you need to bring before the Lord. Maybe there's something that's just in your heart that's, that's hindering your ability to love him well. Or maybe you just haven't let your, your heart be the temple of the spirit that it's supposed to be, needs to be, you're called to be in order to live out and produce the fruit, to stay grounded in the gospel. So God, I pray that as we worship you now and as we celebrate these lives going through the waters of baptism, that you would just move in all of our hearts and bring us all into an understanding of what you have to teach us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.